0: truly uh, one of the greatest uh, aspects of being a follower of Jesus is the aspect of learning about who Jesus is, right? But then there's also that aspect of sharing what we have learned with other people. So I want to encourage you right now before we jump into the New Testament challenge, and I want to encourage you, those of you who are here live in person that have your cell phones those of you who are watching at home on Facebook Live, I wanna encourage you to share this video right now on your feed, because uh, we wanna talk about something in the New Testament Challenge that is so very important for people uh, to hear. And so uh, we started this fall growth campaign, we are call it the New Testament Challenge, and we're really challenging people to do three things, all right, so this is what we're challenging people to do. First, we're challenging people to be here on Sunday. Uh, Now, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, here in church with us, but connect with us on Sunday. For some people, it may not even be Sunday at all. It may be Monday or Tuesday before they connect. But what we're challenging people to do is to listen to the teaching each Sunday so that they can see the major themes of the New Testament. And can I just be honest with you? This is probably the easiest part of it, right? Because uh, all you got to do is just tune in with us, just connect with us, and uh, stay here with us for uh, the, uh, the amount of time that we're having just listening. You can even put us on in the background while you're uh, doing the dishes or whatever it may be that you're doing. But we want you to hear the major teachings of the New Testament because in hearing the major teachings of the New Testament, we're going to see the great love that God has for us. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And then the second component of the New Testament challenge is uh, to connect with a life group and to connect with the life group. And here's, here's why we believe life groups are so very important. When you come and, and you just receive the teaching uh, from the word of God, it has a level of benefit to your heart. And as much as I would like to say that when you listen to the teaching here on Sunday morning, you are just soaking it in. You're taking everything in and you're uh, taking notes and you're learning everything and you're receiving 75% of, of what is being said on Sunday morning, statistics say it's more like 15%. And it's when we actually connect in dialogue about the teaching of the Scripture that we actually learn way more than just being a passive listener to the Word of God. Now listen, I know you guys who are here you guys you guys love the word of god right i know that you're just soaking it all in and it's much it's a much greater percentage for you but i want i just believe that when we connect with one another and we discuss what we're learning not only are we receiving, but we're kind of being like a channel for God's word to go out and to be able to connect with other people. I just believe there's greater learning that happens in the format of a dialogue and in a question and answer and in a discussion than happens than when we're just listening to the word of God. So there's that, that second level. So I think we've kind of upped the ante there a little bit. So I believe that you'll learn much more about the New Testament if you will engage in a life group throughout your week, and that's why we want the life groups to be a part of every person who comes to Pond Hill's life. We truly believe that. It's well worth the investment of your time. All right? And then thirdly, here, and I think this is probably the biggest challenge of the New Testament challenge, is to read through the entire New Testament. Well, this morning I brought, my, I brought a couple of Bibles and uh, I wanted to show you uh, the difference between, this is my entire Bible and uh, this, is, this is how big it is. That, that's how big the Bible is. If you have a Bible, uh, your Bible may be a little bit bigger than this. This Bible is about too small for me because when I open up the pages, I have to read it from this angle and no longer this angle, right? And so some of you know what I'm talking about because you got one of those big old Bibles, you know? Super giant print Bibles, right? And you know, when you when you have that many Bibles and, and that big, I know that it's because you love the Word of God and you just want to read it so much more, right? And if you can't see it, you can't read it. I understand that, right? But I also brought my New Testament. Can you see the difference in the size of the scripture? The Old Testament contains so much scripture that it the whole Bible looks massive when compared to the New Testament. And here's what, here's what the challenge is. The challenge is, is that we want to read the entire New Testament together. I heard an interesting statistic this week that only about 17% of people who call themselves followers of Jesus have actually ever read the entire New Testament. So that's why we are encouraging people to pick up their Bible, read the entire New Testament. Why are we doing this challenge? Well, we're doing this challenge simply because we believe that when we understand the teachings of the New Testament, when we read through the New Testament, we believe that we will be more like Jesus. We believe that the teachings that he has given to us through the scriptures are the means to find genuine life and to live the very best life we possibly can. And so we want to know exactly what Jesus said in the New Testament. So I hope that you will take the challenge. Those are the three parts of the challenge. Well, today we are going to look at what I believe to be the largest challenge offered in the New Testament. The largest challenge offered in the New Testament. And here's what the challenge is. It is the challenge of radical love. It's a challenge of radical love. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and take it out. If, you're, if you have just the New Testament, I want you to go to the very first uh, pages of the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter number 7. You can go ahead and be there and waiting for me as I, as I turn my scripture to there, uh, right in the first pages of the book of Matthew. And the great thing about this, if you are reading the New Testament with us this week, you are going to be reading this passage of scripture uh, this week because it's in your weekly reading. It's, uh, uh, it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to talk about what it truly means to be a person of radical love. Now, I just want to say to you, if you are a, a Bible person at all, you know that Jesus said all of the commandments of God rest on two commandments, right? Do you know what they are? The first one is to do what? Is to love the Lord your God with all of your being, right? Can I say to you, that's radical love. When God says to you, I want you to love me with all of your being. That's radical, isn't it? He didn't say, I want you to love me with your spiritual mentality, right? Or with your understanding. He says, I want you to love me with your body, with your mind, with your soul, and with your spirit. Every part of you, that's radical love. And then he said the second commandment was likened to the first. And what was the second commandment? Yeah. Love your neighbor. In fact, the Bible talks about love a great, at, to great lengths. And he talks about this idea of what it means to really be a person of not just the way you understand love or the way I understand love, but the way in which we have been loved by God. Can I say to you, that is radical love. Now, I want to let you know this is a massive subject in the New Testament. In fact, it's so big that the Bible actually defines love by using four Greek words, all right? So if you have your notes, let's look at these four Greek words that are used there. I'm sure that you'll know some of them. Here's the first Greek word that we see that's used in the New Testament for the word love, and it is the word phylos, phylos. Now, uh, there is an American city not far from here, that gets its meaning from this word. What, what city am I talking about? Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia. And what is the tagline for the city of Philadelphia? The city of? Yeah, the city of brotherly love. So the word of, we understand as brotherly love is this kind of love that two guys would have toward one another as they're hanging out together. You know, they're chums, they're buddies, they're friends. And it's that friendly type of love that this word is derived from. And certainly, brotherly love is an important part of how we love one another, isn't it? In fact, the word brotherly love, philo, it means this heartfelt affection, and it's based upon commonality. It's based upon commonality. This morning when I was outside, we were talking a little bit about football. And uh, I I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. Don't hold that against me. Uh, But uh, when I am out and about in my Dallas Cowboy shirt, my wife will attest to this, I have so many people who come up and talk to me about the Dallas Cowboys and they are expressing to me brotherly love, right? Because we are brothers, right? In that that instance, right? It's a heartfelt affection based upon commonality. Now, it may be a common uh, sports team. It uh, may be a common activity that you enjoy doing. It may be as common as being in church together. It's just based upon this idea of we have something in common, so I kind of like you a little bit. Does that make sense to you? We have something to talk about, right? That's what it is. Now, listen, phileo love is a good love to have, but it's not radical love. Anybody can have love based on commonality, can't it? That's not radical love. So let's look at the second kind of love. The second Greek word that's used for love is the word storge. And the word storge is this kind of family uh, affection. You know, uh, 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 the love that we would have because we are in the same kind of family. We're related to each other. So we spend Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, Easter, New Year's, perhaps a summer gathering together, and for those moments that we spend together because we're family, I love you, (laughs) right? And uh, we embrace one another, and we say to one another that we love them, and uh, can I say to you, this this is an important kind of love, don't you think? Don't you think that your family ought to be a place where your family members can feel loved, can feel appreciated? But it's this love that is bound together because we, well, we, we have another connection, don't we? We have uh, the same mom and dad, so I have to love you, right? We have the uh, same, uh, uh, our parents have parents that are the same, our our grandparents, this, this familial tie that binds us together. And it's a great love to have. I want to encourage you to make sure that you love your family members to the best of your ability. But can I, I, I want to say this is not radical love, though. This is a love that we, can, that we all experience, that we've all experienced at some level in some kind of thinking. And the Bible says this is good love, but it's not radical love. Well, let me give you the third kind of love, and I think we're kind of familiar with this one, too. It's the word eros. And this is the love that we would explain as kind of erotic love. This is the kind of affection that we have in the New Testament that would be referred to romantic love. And so uh, there's something about you that just uh, 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 makes me tingle, you know. Uh, And uh, all of those ideas about this romantic love that's out there. And really, basically what it is, is it's a physiological response to something, is what we're talking about. And the truth is, this is probably a love that we see most often portrayed, you know, in the movies, don't we? We'll watch a movie and this person will fall in love with this person. This person breaks this person's heart and, and all this. And, and it doesn't have to be something that's lasting, which is interesting. Because just in that mindset, this is not a radical love. This is more a, a physical response to something that we think is well perhaps love you've probably heard it said that that uh, uh, that love often is a feeling because like i said you love is much more than a feeling when we talk about radical love we should not be people who are moved about by any type of feeling that we have within us there's got to be something much deeper Than this. In fact, uh, this uh, eros love is uh, what uh, uh, what we've all experienced before when we before we were married, right? And it was that uh, that feeling that was inside that says, "Hey, I want to go and I want to ask that person out." Uh, Hopefully, those of us who have been married, we have moved well beyond the eros type of love and moved into something much greater. Than that. And that brings me to our fourth word that's used in the Greek about love, and it is the word agape love. Now, I think this is important to write down the word agape love because agape love is the radical kind of love that we're talking about. In fact, here's what I believe this agape love refers, and this is important, to the unconditional, selfless, godlike love it's unconditional, it's selfless, and it is, I like to use the word, redemptive in nature. So when we talk about agape love, we're talking about something different than it just wells up a feeling within me. We're talking about something different than is, hey, I got to love you because we're related. Uh, uh, It's something different than, hey, I love you because you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? It's something different than that. It's a deeper connection Because agape love is this radical love that is selfless. In fact, here's how how the Bible kind of describes this idea. Radical love is loving when you have no reason to love. In fact, loving when you're facing your enemy. When we face our enemy, you know what we think? Man, how can I destroy them, right? That's kind of the mindset. How can they get what they deserve, right? But agape love says love when you're facing Your enemy. It's loving when people are being mean to you. Have people ever been mean to you? Yeah, right? It's loving when you just had a nasty fight with your spouse. It's loving when your spouse is selfish and unkind. It's loving when they did not like your meal that you just prepared or when they forgot to take out the trash. It's this deep-seated love that is not convenient, but is given to everyone anyway. Loving when it doesn't make sense to love, when others say that you are ignorant for loving in that capacity, that's what it means for radical love. When the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he when he says to the person of faith, if your husband or your wife is not a person of faith and they don't believe in your understanding or your faith, you don't have a reason to get divorced just because you're of two separate faiths. I want you to show agape love in the midst of that environment. See, it challenges the thinking. And most importantly, this is the type of love that God extends to us. In fact, look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 2. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear dear children, walk in agape. That's what it is. walk in love, as Christ also hath agape, radically loved us, and has given himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. Can I say to you when it comes to this type of love, our ultimate example is God in how that He loved us in every way. Loving, a radical love, is when we love even when we have reason not to love. Even when it's not necessarily deserved even when we've received nothing in return. It's loving in that capacity. That's the type of love that we're talking about. And here's the challenge. Ready? It's a challenge. Will we love others with an agape, radical kind of love? See, radical love is taking the most godly action we can take toward others. Please don't miss this. When I am loving you with agape love, I'm loving you with the most godly action we can take toward you. See, choosing agape love is a choice, first of all, and then it is an action. Did you see that? So I choose to demonstrate agape love towards you, or I guess I could say I choose not to act in agape love towards you. It's a choice followed by an action. Radical love is choosing to take the most godly action we can take toward one another. Now listen to me. If we don't make this decision in our life, If we don't make the decision to love today, to to choose radical love, to choose a life of radical love, it leaves a void in our life. It leaves an emptiness in our life. And it doesn't just remain empty because you see the opposite of love is apathy. What apathy is? It's like, I don't care. The opposite of love is apathy. But there's also something else that's the opposite of love. Do you know what you say? If I said to you, hey, what's the opposite of love? What would you say? Hate. Hate. It's hatred. The opposite of love is I don't care about you. And the reality of an I don't care about you is not love, but rather hate. Please don't miss this because this is why this challenge is so very essential because radical love is the antidote for hate. Did you hear that? Radical love is the antidote for hate. And what is radical love? Radical love is choosing to take the most godly action we can take for others. Radical love changes everything. It changes everything. Think about it. What does radical love look like in your marriage? What does radical love look like in my marriage? What does radical love look like in your home? What would would it look like if, if you just chose to live this week by this concept of radical love in your home? It would be revolutionary. What if you chose to live radical love in your place of employment? What would that look like? Or how about your neighborhood? Or how about your community? Or how about in the midst of protests? Or how about in the midst of war? What does radical love look like? Because Jesus, according to the New Testament, is challenging us to live a life of radical love. Yet when we look around us, we don't see much radical love, do we? We see a lot of other radical things, but we don't see much radical love. What is radical love? Radical love is choosing to take the most godly action we can take toward others. You said, Pastor Mike, you told me we were going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Can I just say to you that I believe this idea of radical love is based upon the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is showing to us what it means to live a radical life, a life of radical love in the midst of, well, people who don't really care about radical love. People who care more about their own agendas than they do about the kingdom of God. And what God is inviting us to do is to think with a mindset of kingdom priorities rather than a mindset of worldly priorities. So let's look at what Jesus says about this concept of radical love when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Are you ready? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He says, if you want to love like Jesus loved, here are four actions you must take. Does that make, does that make sense to you? So what did I say? Radical love is the choice, right? The choice to take action, the most godly action we can take, right? Here's choice number one. Are you ready? I don't think we're going to like this, but this is where we start, all right? Ra- choice number one, I must choose to respond peacefully. Can I just say to you, just think about what this would look like in your home, right? I just, just want to think about that for a second, you know? Sometimes I am not the most peaceful, loving person. In fact, sometimes I feel like I I like fighting, but radical love says to us, I want you to choose to respond peacefully. When we decide to live a life of radical love, we have to decide to respond to those who hurt us and those who attack us peacefully. Well, that just sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? In fact, everything that we watch on TV, isn't it about this idea that somebody gets hurt and and they spend their entire life, you know, trying to figure out how that they can you know, maybe get back at that person. All the superhero models are, uh, 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 of, uh, uh, of uh, movies are out there Are like something happens and it's terrible and the superheroes bind together and then at the very end of the movie, they come back together and they give the villain what the villain deserves, right? Yeah, I think that we have been ingrained in this concept. When I was, When I was a youngster, uh, my dad loved uh, the Dirty Harry movies. You remember the Dirty Harry movies, right? You, you remember those famous lines of, of Dirty Harry movies? Go ahead, punk, make, my, make day. my day, right? All right, so this is what it would sound like if they applied the biblical uh, a biblical mindset of living peaceable with all this. Go ahead, punk, accept my apology, <laughs> right? I thought about that this week. I was like, yeah, it just doesn't have the same effect, does it, when you think about it? This idea of living peacefully with all men is so much ingrained in the Scripture, and it's coming from this teaching of Jesus, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 and 39, it says, you have heard, uh, you, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, man. Ah, yeah. I like where this is going. But I say unto you, here's where radical love comes in, right? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Well, that is not exactly where I was hoping Jesus was going with that, right? Because we live by a law of fairness. Have you heard of that? The law of fairness, and we think that everything should just be fair. But can I say to you, God does not want you living by a law of fairness, but rather the law of radical love. But rather the law of radical love. So Jesus says, if someone insults you, if someone slaps you in the face, don't repay evil with evil. Why? Because radical love is choosing to take the most godly action we can take for other people. So, who do we know that we need to show radical love to? Who do we know that we need to forgive. Because Jesus is inviting us into this challenge of living by radical love. In fact, let me give you the second choice that we may make according to Scripture, Uh, according to the Sermon on the Mount. It says, uh, I must choose to forgive freely. I must choose to forgive freely. This takes radical love up to a step, because it's one thing to just hold our peace, right, and not say anything. But it's another thing to take a step further and say, hey, I'm going to forgive you, right? Even though you've offended me, even though you've upset me, I'm going to choose to forgive you. You see, radical love chooses to forgive someone, whether it's deserved or undeserved. Well, I'll forgive them as long as they admit they wronged me. Wait, that's a struggle. That's, that's difficult, because does the teaching of Scripture depend upon how other people respond? Or does it actually depend upon how Jesus responded, right? In fact, when we choose the path of unforgiveness, there are four things that we do, and really None of them are really against the person who offended us. In fact, I love, I love if you ask any psychologist, uh, they will tell you that the number one element of psychological and mental and spirit, emotional and spiritual health is the ability to forgive, the ability to let it go. And the truth is there are people who have offended us and upset us and we're holding grudges about and they don't even, they don't, they don't even bear any of the consequences. But we're living in knots because of it. You see because when we choose the path of unforgiveness we're really only hurting ourselves. We're really only holding on to bitterness and holding on to hurt. We're hurting ourselves. The second thing that we're doing in fact when we hold on to unforgiveness in our life we're giving power to the other person on our well-being. Huh? Well, well well wait. That... So we're hurting ourselves. But we're giving someone else the power over our state of mind, over our emotional health, over our physical health in, most, in, in many cases. We're giving them power over us. In fact, uh, the Bible says it's like drinking poison into ourselves. Not only that, but the Bible says it creates a barrier between me and that person. Think about someone who's hurt you and you were unwilling to forgive. Do you even want to be around that person? It creates a barrier between you and them. But then, and this is the most important one, this is the most devastating for us. The Bible said it actually creates a barrier between me and God. Actually, look at this verse Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. It says, And if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, whoa, what? Neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Here's what we need to understand about this verse, because there's a lot of people out there that want to twist this to mean whatever they want it to mean. And here's what I believe what Jesus is saying. Unforgiveness in your heart blocks love. It blocks love. It blocks your ability to show radical love to that person. And it blocks you from loving God like you want to love him. And It darkens your understanding about how God loves you. Because when I choose to not forgive other people, I begin to wonder, if I'm not free to forgive other people, is God really free to forgive me? And it begins this idea of questioning. Here's how most people handle this they become the best Pharisee possible. So they begin to judge everyone around them instead of allowing a heart of forgiveness and radical love to rule in their hearts and in their life. Listen, I know that forgiveness is hard. I understand that. But God calls us to this idea of radical love And he calls us not just to love those who are lovable, but to love even our enemies. Look at this verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. It says, you have have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemies, but I say unto you, what does he say? What? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Can I just say to you, that is not the way we like to do things. We would much rather judge people and tell them that they're wrong and that they need to seek our forgiveness. And Radical Love says, pray for them, bless them, forgive them, what? He says, you do this because by doing this, you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil, just as well as he does the good. He sendeth rain for the just, just as well as he sendeth rain for the unjust. For if you love them which love you, you have, you know, you have your reward. So do the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more others than the publicans do so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. You see, Jesus says this pretty clearly. Anyone can love their friends. Well, that's phileo love, right? Anyone can love their family. Well, that's sorge love, right? Anyone can fall in love and feel attracted to someone. That's Eros' love. But he says the person with God's love in their hearts can love even their enemies, can love even those who have hurt them, can love even those who are against them. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. What a powerful statement. Why is that true? It's because enemies will always remain enemies if we treat them like our enemies. And people who hurt us will always hurt us if we continue to hurt them. See, that's the way the world says we should do it. But Jesus says there is a better way. And that is to demonstrate radical love. Actually, Romans chapter 12 says, when we love those who hurt us, It's actually like pouring coals of fire on their head. You know why? Because they can't understand the radical love that God has. Let's look at another action that I think is very important. Here it is, uh, uh, the third choice. That is, I must choose to view others graciously. Think about that for a second. I must choose to view others graciously. Ironically, this is the way that we want others to look at us. But Jesus actually invites us to look at them. In the Sermon on the Mount, not only did Jesus say to turn the other cheek when someone hurts you and then forgive them, but Jesus says radical love means giving other people, even our enemies, the benefit of the doubt. Seeing the best in them, not the worst in them. Seeing them optimistically and not pessimistically. You say, Pastor Mike, how do you get that? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1 says this. Judge not that you be not judged. Isn't that interesting? What? That's a, what, what did it say? Judge not that you be not judged. In fact, he continues this way. He says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what manner ye meet, it shall be meted unto you. And why beholdest thou not the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in your own eye? And how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote or the little splinter that's in your eye, And behold, a beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite. Whoa, Jesus is getting kind of, you know, forceful here, don't you think? He says radical love does not behave this way. Radical love does not go around looking for a reason to judge other people. The truth is those that judge other people have splinters in their own eyes. That's what he's saying. In fact, actually, he actually says it worse than that, doesn't he? He says that you see splinters in everybody else's eye because you have this beam in your your eye. You know what a beam is, right? It's a whole bunch of splinters that are compacted together. Well, certainly if you have a beam in your own eye, eye, a judgmental spirit, certainly everywhere you look is going to seem like everybody has a splinter in their eye. When we take a judgmental mindset of people, literally what we do is we go around judging everyone. And God says, that is not radical love. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, listen to me. Again, this is one of those verses that people take out of context to see. See, you shouldn't be casting judgment on people. Actually, the word used here in the Greek doesn't mean a casting judgment on what is morally right and morally wrong, but rather walking around with a judgmental spirit. We're walking around, looking. And here's here's how we do it, because this is human nature, right? We find fault in other people so that we can elevate our own righteousness in our own eyes. What is it that we're after? Are we after loving? No. Are we after uh, radical love? Are we after forgiveness? Are we after reconciliation? No. What we desire is to look good in our own eyes and in the eyes of those around us so that we look so spiritual, right? Because we can find fault in everyone else. The solution for this is to stop finding fault in everyone else. Love them radically and try to get the log out of your own eye. (laughs) That's the solution for this. When I choose to live graciously, I choose not to be condemning of everyone around us, recognizing that I have my own issues. And if I'll take care of my own issues, I won't even have time to be trying to fix you of your issues. That's what this verse is referring to. That's the radical love that God has for us. All right, let me give you one more because I don't want to lose you this morning, and this is the most important part. Ready? Choice number four we must choose to love sacrificially we must choose to love sacrificial. One of the most incredible things that Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount is he would take a previous law and he would say, you have heard it said this way, but I say, do it this way. That's, that's what he said. He said to them, you say not to commit adultery, but I say, don't even look on a woman to lust after her. Right? That was, that was the concept you say, uh, don't commit a murder, don't murder someone. But I say, don't even call your brother a fool. Whoa, now Jesus just like, you know, put a whole nother level on that one, didn't he? You know, and and, and so Jesus took those laws and he kind of tossed them around. In the ancient world, one of the most universal laws was from the ancient code of Hammurabi. And it said, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you which is a pretty good law right isn't it don't do to others what you don't want done to you but jesus kind of turned that around and and uh, and he he kind of made it differently jesus took this law from the well-known ancient law and he applied god's he applied god's radical love to it and he turned it from being a negative command like hey if you don't want to get punched in the face don't punch somebody in the face right that's that's kind of the way he said it he applied it from the negative position into the positive and turned it into something that is very, very radical. You see, previously it was call, it was a call to inaction. Don't hit somebody in the face. That makes sense, doesn't it? But Jesus turns it into a call to action, making it God's golden rule. You've probably heard this before. Matthew chapter seven, verse number twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would do uh, that men should do unto you, do ye. Do ye even so to them? for this fulfills the law of the prophets. So he turned it from from this idea of, hey, if you don't want to get punched in the face, don't punch somebody in the face. And he said, how do you want to be treated? How do you want others to treat you? And then he says, if that's the way you want to be treated, then why don't you treat others like that first? Isn't that awesome? So let me ask you a question. Do you want to be treated kind? Yeah? I want to be treated kind. So why don't I treat others kind first? Do you want to be treated lovingly? Yeah, I do. Why don't we do that? Do you want to be forgiven? <laughs> Have you ever wronged someone that you just, you know, you just, yeah. yeah I, I, I So why not forgive other people? You see, he turned the law around and he said, why don't we treat others first instead of waiting for them to treat us? So that then we can determine our action. See, radical love chooses to do the most godly action we can for other people. It's a radical concept, and it's still radical today, isn't it? It's radical to think that we would choose to forgive someone even though they've wronged us. Actually, this verse takes it a little bit deeper than that and says, we should practice something called pre-forgiveness. That means I know people are going to wrong me today, but I'm going to make a choice now to forgive them ahead of time. You see, that's the kind of mindset that Jesus had. And if you want to look for a perfect example of this, you need not look any further than God himself. Because you see, the Bible says that each and every one of us was separated from God. We were doomed because of our own sinfulness. In fact, we had wronged God so much that God had to separate us from his presence by this darkness because the prophet says that God is so holy that he cannot even look upon iniquity and unrighteousness. And so he clothed us in this darkness, this expanse that we call space. And he placed us here, and he allowed us to be like sheep who've gone astray. Oh yeah, we like to blame other people, don't we? But the truth is, we choose sin. We choose selfishness. And God, in his radical love, says, enough is enough. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, And he sends Jesus from his eternal home, heaven, and he places him here on earth in the form of a man. And this man, this man, Jesus, lived this perfect, sinless, spotless life without any iniquity, without any wrongdoing. And even though he lived perfectly, he went to the cross and he died. Not for his sins, but rather for our sins. And then as Jesus was dying on the cross. He has this conversation with those around him and with God, his father. And he says to his father, The plan that you have initiated, the plan of radical love, is finished. And he makes an offer to all mankind, even though we were separated, even though we love sin more than we love God. He says, If you call upon me, I will forgive you of your sins and I will restore a right relationship between you and I. It's a radical kind of love. It's highlighted in the Gospel of John, chapter number three, where God says, for God, so what did he do? He loved loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever or whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have, what is it? Everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make more sense that a perfect, righteous God should send his son to be a judge over us and to say to us, You are sinful, you are unrighteous, you have this problem, and this problem, and this problem, and this problem? But the Bible says God did not send his son to condemn the world, the world was already condemned. sent him so that he could pay the price of sin and so that the world through him could find forgiveness and be saved. This is so very important. Don't miss this. You cannot show radical love until you have first received radical love. It will be impossible to show something that you have never had demonstrated for you before. For God so radically loved you that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins so that we could have forgiveness. That is radical love. And here is his radical love for you today, for me today that if you have never received him, if you've never called on him for forgiveness, that today you can find forgiveness of your sins and you can find new life in this radical love of God. And you too can share the same radical love that Jesus shared toward us. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never called out To Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, I want you to know that God loves you. Not just a family tie, not just because you have something in common with him. It's a radical kind of love that would forgive you of all the wrong you've ever done and would make you right as his child. Can I say to you, that's the step for you today. If you've never done that, find forgiveness today. If you have found forgiveness, here's the challenge. As Jesus has loved us with a radical love, so we too are called to love those around us with a radical love.